0: well good morning chillicothe bible church it is good is that all come on now <laughs> y'all can do better than that good morning chillicothe bible church all right here we go all right uh i was going to tell you that uh I, I came to church grouchy this morning uh i uh, apparently some of you did too um and uh you know i was out this morning early with my one of my sons chipping ice out of the driveway and just going and just essentially um, uh, you know cursing my luck at living in illinois in the winter right and um and and so it was good to come to church this morning and to sing praise to the lord the almighty you know and remember that, as a matter of fact, you have a tremendously blessed life. Uh, You are uh, not only alive, but you're a child of God, and He loves you with an everlasting love, and He has saved you from sin and death and hell, and He has given you His Word and His Spirit and His people. And so uh, thank you for being a huge encouragement to me with your singing and with your... um, with uh, just your presence here this morning uh, was a huge encouragement to me um, asking you know just basic questions that we all ask so how are you doing this morning right (laughs) and uh, somebody asked me over uh over in the cafe and i was kind of like well we got here (laughs) you know and that's kind of how i was feeling but it's good to worship god with his people here this morning let's pray god our heavenly father we thank you that uh that you are so kind to us so gracious so loving so caring so good you have not only sent your son but you have given us abundant blessings in your word and by your spirit and and in your people too father Uh, being with the people of god talking about the things of God and giving you praise together is a blessing, and uh, we enjoy it. Father, we pray that today as we open your word that you would help us uh, not only to um, not only to hear it, but to put it into practice, to to not only be hearers of the word, but effectual doers, as the book of James says. Uh, F- Father, help me to explain it well, uh, that uh, we might all be obedient to it together. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know. Uh, you guys have that, that picture? Did that come through? Okay. All right. You want to put that up? Okay. Some of you have seen this before. Okay. If you've been in 2-7 with me, uh, or you were in 2-7 in, uh, in youth group, uh, the kids did this. Um, this is an old, old drawing. Okay, for, uh given by the, uh, the Navigators, which is a, dis- a Christian discipleship ministry. And I'm starting a new series today that I'm going to call Back to Basics about the Christian life. And let's assume that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So how do you actually live as a Christian day by day? Well, obviously that encompasses a whole lot of things, and you can include a whole bunch of different things in that in an answer to that question, but it really boils down to a few simple concepts that encapsulate a whole lot of other things, and one of the best ways that I have run across is this. This uh, this is called, they call it the wheel illustration. It was developed back in 1938 uh, by a guy named Dawson Trotman, and you'll see that you have Christ in the center and then you have uh, four spokes of the wheel, two horizontal and two vertical. Horizontal deals with your relationships with other people in fellowship and in witnessing. And two vertical, your relationship with God uh, through the word and prayer. And then uh, the rim that holds all that together is obedience to all these things. So we're going to look at, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at, uh, at these aspects of the Christian life and um, with that in mind, I want to begin where we um, must begin, I think, with putting Christ at the center of our lives. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We're going to look at one verse together. It has three sentences, but it's one verse. Um, so let's look at that here together. Um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if you look at that first sentence, what you see is the origin of the Christian life. Uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Now, we sometimes grow so used to seeing crosses you know in churches and on around people's neck or in their ears you know that we really forget what a cross actually is and what it's about and what it is is an implement of execution it's it's an ancient it'd be the ancient equivalent of the electric chair or a gallows Or something like that. It's an implement of execution. It was designed to very slowly put someone to death. Crucifying someone could take somewhere between hours and days for them to eventually suffocate as their chest collapses and fills up with fluid. It is an agonizing way to die. And Paul, and, and you know, and you did not, and it was on top of that, it, the way that you were crucified, you were typically hung there naked. It was designed to bring as much shame as possible to you. As people passed by and watched, and no one wanted to suffer crucifixion. In fact, it was illegal to put anyone who was a Roman citizen to death by crucifixion. Because it was regarded as so agonizing, Uh, so shameful a way to die. And yet here Paul gladly pronounces himself crucified with Jesus, implying that he understood that following following Jesus means his own death. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, in Paul's case, that was true in both the physical and the spiritual sense. When Paul became a follower of Christ, he was constantly persecuted, and he really was put to death at the end of his life. Not by crucifixion, because he was a Roman citizen. He was beheaded. Uh, But Paul's emphasis here is not on how life ends, but on how life is lived right now. And how we live right now ought to be based, according to Paul, on the fact that in putting our faith in Jesus Christ, what we are doing is willingly crucifying and putting to death our old life. I don't know if you you knew this. When you signed up for Jesus, you signed your own death warrant. You said, as of today, my old life is dead. My old life, the way I used to live, the person I used to be died when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual sense in which when Christ died on the cross, all of us who believe in Him also died with Him because Christ's death paid the penalty for our sins even before we put our faith in Him. The old us, the old you, the old me, died when Jesus did, and that version of us is dead. And has been replaced by a new and better one through the new birth that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And the point of this sentence of this verse is that the Christian life is one that begins by faith in his death for our sins and his resurrection to give us new life. And in the moment that you put your faith in Christ, in that very moment, the old you dies with Christ and the new you is raised to life in him. So you, like Paul, can say, I have been crucified with Christ. The old me has been put to death. Now look at the second sentence. What's it say? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, this is this sentence is about the power by which we live the new life that we possess. Now let me let me be really clear here. When Paul says it is no longer I who live, he is not saying something weird. He is not saying that his personality and his uniqueness. And who he is as a person has been like sucked out of him and replaced by something else, right? Uh, Christianity is not an invasion of the body snatchers, right? <laughs> you retain who you are personality-wise and, and everything about you stays the same, except that you get a transformed heart in which the Holy Spirit dwells, Amen? And uh, so to become a a Christian is not to become a zombie whose soul has been replaced by Jesus, right? Um, That what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit is added to who you are. And when you become a Christian, what Paul is saying is when he became a Christian, Christ took up residence within him by the Holy Spirit. That moment when that happens, by the way, if you want to get theological about it, I'll give you a theological term. The moment when the, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then your experience of that on an ongoing basis as you live your life, uh, as, as uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in you continually, is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's a momentary time when the Holy Spirit enters and unites you to Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then an ongoing presence of him, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and what happens to us is that as we yield our life to Christ, that he lives his life through us. That, in other words, we start to live like Jesus. Does that make sense? I hope so i hope so uh because naturally normally we as human beings cannot live the life that jesus calls us to amen if you think that you can i've got a challenge for you if you think you know what i've got the spiritual life thing wired i think i can do it all on my own Sit down this afternoon, With uh, open your Bible up to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and read all the way, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and see if you can do all of those things. In that list, you'll find things like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, if, your, if your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away your right hand leads you into sin, saw it off. Okay, you'll find some stuff in there that will really challenge you, in other words, right? And if if you think you can do this on your own, let me just assure you right away that you can't. But as you yield to the Holy Spirit within you, he lives out his life through you. And Jesus and the point of this is that Jesus doesn't just call us to live in a particular way, kind of announcing from on a high, hey, you all need to knock it off and fly right. And that's what a lot of people think Christianity is. That's not Christianity. That's religion. Okay? What what Jesus does is call us to live in a particular way and then enable us to live that way by giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live that way. And the more we submit to Him, the more we yield to Him in our actions and in our attitudes and in our thoughts and in His will, the more we yield ourselves to His will as revealed in His Word, the more we grow And the more we live out a Jesus-like way of life. And the way that we live is meant to resemble Jesus' life because Jesus is living out His life within us. And we live out His presence because His indwelling nature changes us. Changes who we are. Changes what we want. Changes what we think about. Changes what we even desire to do. And so that what we couldn't naturally do on our own, all of a sudden becomes part of who we are. Over time, what we started out not even having any comprehension of how this was ever going to happen becomes a natural part of who we are and what we do because our heart is changed as Jesus lives his life through us. Now, the first two sentences in this verse that we've looked at carry some obvious and significant implications and application for us, don't they? If I'm dead and crucified with Jesus then that means that the way I used to live is meant to stay dead and buried. Amen? I'm not supposed to get up in the morning and decide whether or not I'm going to live as a Christian today or whether I'm going to give my old life mouth-to-mouth and CPR and live that way, right? And yet lots of people, that's exactly what they do, right? They go, well, you know... I, I am a Christian, but in this circumstance, I've decided I'm not going to live like one. I'm not going to live like one with my finances. I'm not going to live like one when I go on a date. I'm not going to live like one in my marriage. I'm not going to live like one at my job because, you know, don't you know this is just business and Jesus, he can I'll meet Jesus outside the door of my company. Right? And they give their old life, like I say, mouth-to-mouth and CPR (laughs) so that they can live that way instead of recognizing that their old life was crucified with Christ and live out of His energy and power a new life that looks like Jesus. And what this text is telling us, again, second sentence here, that if it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, what that means is is that I have willingly dethroned myself. And we've we've read about that in the I don't know how many of y'all are fascinated by uh, Harry and Megan, right? But they are, um, I'm not all that fascinated, to be honest. Um, you know, we fought a war over that, right? <laughs> We're not having these people be involved in our lives. But somehow they keep warming their way back in. <laughs> but, but in any case, these two people have decided they're going to step back from involvement in the royal family, Right? I don't know what that that means, really. You know, like you stop being a prince one day because you've decided you don't want to be one anymore. I don't even know. But here's what I do know. As it relates to Jesus, what you do is you step down off of the throne of your life. And you enthrone Jesus and you say to him, you get to be in charge of my life you get to tell me what to do and i will listen and obey you get to be the center and the ruler and the one who determines what i say and what i think and how i live my life in every respect in every respect so what's the direction and purpose of my life it is to live out a Jesus-like life empowered by Jesus' indwelling presence in my life. That he's at the center, not just of my, of my thoughts, not just as someone who uh, occupies a lot of my, of my energy and thinking, but as someone who is telling me how to live and that I am obeying and listening to. Amen? I no longer live but Jesus lives in me. Now look at the last sentence here. The life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What this line of this verse gives you gives you and me is the encouraging motivation or why we should do that. When Paul says that the life he lives in the body, he lives by faith in Jesus, what he means is that as he trusts in Jesus to live his life through Paul, moment by moment, that Jesus gives spiritual effectiveness to everything that he does. That's what living by faith means. When you live by faith, you're trusting God to give spiritual effectiveness to your actions. And as we, moment by moment, trust in Jesus to live out His life through us, uh, then we don't continue by merely human effort. We don't begin... The Christian life by faith. And then we just kind of gut it out from there. Jesus lives his life through us. And as we obey. Moment by moment we rely on Christ to live out his life through us. And we we obey by the spirit's empowerment. Now you and I know that if you've been a Christian longer than five minutes. You know that we often fail to live out of the Spirit's empowerment of our life. Amen. Anybody want to stand up and testify on that for five minutes? <laughs> okay. Um, we can all testify probably, I mean, I, I gave testimony today, right? came to church at Grump, uh, <laughs> that, that, um, that we fail to live out the Spirit's empowerment. But by faith, empowered by the Spirit, we strive because of Jesus um, and the fact that He is not just the Son of God, but that He is the Son of God who loves us and gave Himself for us. You ought to highlight, if you've got a highlighter, you ought got to highlight that portion of that verse. The Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Let me ask you something, those of you who are married, when things are going really well and you are deeply aware of how much your husband or wife loves you, how hard is it to serve them? Not hard, right? It's not hard, right? You, you serve them out of joy, out of just pure fun, right? Right? When things, are, when things are going great at our house, you know, uh, Karen, Karen works uh, outside of our house, works long hours sometimes as an accountant. And, and so a lot of times at our house, I'm the person who makes sure that our laundry, as opposed to the children who do their own laundry, that our laundry gets done. Or that the dishes get accomplished. Or that some other, you know, things with the car uh, get fixed and so forth, right? And uh, if things are going great, boy, that's so easy for me. I just, I just enjoy taking care of those things, taking care of her, taking care of our house, right? But if it's if we're not getting along, all of a sudden it is serving, isn't it? All right. It is, oh, I'm doing this and I'm hating it, right? Um, D.L. Moody said it this way, that faith makes all things possible, love makes all things easy, right? And when we're serving the Lord, it's the same way, that we're not serving a person who is simply our Lord, Right. It would be enough to serve the Lord if that was simply the if that's all the relationship we had of with him is that he is king and he says to obey. And therefore, I'm going to obey. Right. I'm going to do what he says regardless, because this is what he told me to do. And he's the king and he gets to decide. Right. That's true. But that's not all that the Bible says, is it? It says, who loved me. And how did He demonstrate His love for me? Because He gave Himself for me. You know, when I when I, when I do weddings, I haven't done one in a while. Uh, some of you young men who aren't married need to step it up, right? Uh, <laughs> ask a girl out. <laughs> okay, but... Um, but when i do weddings you know they stand up in front of me and their friends and they make vows before god that they're going to love one another and that they're going to um, lay down their lives for one another and it's all very romantic and good right i love weddings they're a lot of fun one of my favorite things to do in ministry is to help people get married Uh, i enjoy them deeply right And we promise each other that we're going to lay down our lives for each other. Very few of us will actually have that opportunity, right? Uh, It's much harder to live for somebody than it is to die for them. Uh, I can just tell you, right? It is much harder. Uh, You know, we're not, the, the grand gesture most of us are good at, the day by day sacrifice we're less good at right but here we have in scripture pointed out for us someone who actually did die for us who actually did give his life that we might be with him jesus laid down his life for us why Because before we ever knew him, and in fact, while we were still his enemies, he gave his life for us. And by the way, it is not some generalized, you know, kind of en masse uh, love for humanity in general. Okay, That's not how people come to faith in Jesus, is it? How do people come to faith in Jesus? As individuals. And further, the Scripture says that God saves those whom He loves. That He chose you and chose me. And chose. He saves people by individually choosing them. Meaning that if you are a child of God today, it is because God... Looked down through all of human history and said, I love you. Not I love y'all. That would, that's good, right? But it's better than that. It's I love you specifically. And so when it says that he loved me and gave himself for me, that personal pronoun is really important. Love me. He gave Himself for me. We say this sometimes, but it really is true. That if you had been the only person whom God intended to save out of all of humanity, guess what? Jesus would have gone to the cross for you and only you. Now, as it turns out, God's mercy and His grace is much wider than that, much bigger than that, and encompasses literally billions of people, but He saves them one at a time. And so in some sense, Christ's death on the cross is for you. And you can write your name in in the text there, if you want, if that helps you as you you think about the Scripture. You You could write... The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved Joe and gave himself for Joe. And don't put my name, put your name. Right? Not very helpful to know that he died to save your pastor. Right? But, (laughs) but, But he needed to, by the way. Right? Because without him, I would be lost. But he... He gives us, out of this, the motivation to do, to live the life that He's calling us to. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we can be motivated by things. You know, I, I go see my gastroenterologist next month, and I know what he's going to say. He's a little, he's a, he's a little tiny little Chinese man who is in desperate need of a cheeseburger, Right? And, um, <laughs> and he's going to say to me, you know, you're overweight, and you need to lose X and so pounds, right? And I will say to him, yes, I know, right? And he, 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 I think he thinks that the most effective motivation is guilt and shame, right? <laughs> what, is Jesus motiv- what does Jesus give us as motivation? is isn't that. It's love. I have laid down my life for you that I might bring you into relationship with me. Therefore, follow me. Therefore, follow me. And when we obey him out of love, it's not it's not a burden. It's not a it's not a endurance run. It's out of joy and we count it a privilege amen now let me just ask a few questions here by way of application as we close number 1 and this is the most important question that you can ever answer so please please hear me when i ask this have you ever bowed down before god and offered your life to him Have you ever put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord of your life? If you've never done that, and you're trying to live the Christian life, I have wonderful news for you. You will fail. And the reason you will fail is you are trying to do by religion what cannot be done that way. It can only be done by relationship with Jesus as he comes into your life. But the Christian life begins by first establishing that relationship of saying, I will crucify my life with Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in him. He died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead to give me new life, and I believe that. And in the moment that you do put your trust in Christ, Jesus enters into your heart and life and enables this this life that we're talking about. But if, if you haven't done that, if you try to get the steps out of order, none of this works. So let me invite you, if you've never... Put your trust in Christ to do that today, right now. You don't have to walk down front. You don't have to pray a certain prayer. There's no magic formula that you have to uh, repeat. No incantation. None, nothing like that. What, what the scripture says is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's no time like the present to dethrone yourself and crown Jesus King in your life. So I encourage you to do that today. Um, If you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, do you need to remember and renew that commitment to die to your old life and allow Jesus to live his new life in you? You know, we're still at the beginning of a new year. all the gyms are full right <laughs> right uh you can't You can't get on any exercise equipment at Pierce right now because it's all in use right um, We are at the beginning of a new year, and maybe at the beginning of a new year. It's a good time to 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 actually renew some things that were part of your life in a deeper way in the past. Maybe you have wandered off the path for a while um, and maybe maybe you've been wandering and nobody even knows it yet because out externally what people see. Still looks okay, but you know that your heart is a million miles from Jesus. If that's true, let me share some good news with you that the same grace that saved you is still available, is still available on tap. All you need to do is confess and repent and turn back to Jesus and allow Him once again to take control of your life you might pray like this you might say Lord you know I've been screwing up my life trying to live it on my own and here are all the ways and I confess those to you Father I want Jesus to live His life out through me today, and tomorrow, and going forward. And when you mess up again, guess what? The same grace is still available. And you can confess again. And be renewed again. And encouraged again to allow Jesus to live His life out through you. And when you mess up again, Guess what? Same grace is still available. Jesus' grace never runs out. And as you continue to confess and repent and to walk with Jesus day by day, you don't become sinless, but you do sin less. Right? Because His grace continues to operate over more and more of your life. Last question. What motivates you to obey Jesus? What motivates you to obey Jesus? There's a lot of motivations that sometimes accompany people's obedience, right? Guilt. That's a lot of times one of them, right? Oh, I know I messed up. I need to be better. You know. Right. Sometimes it's parental pressure. Right. My parents told me I have to do this, so I'm going to do it. You know. Sometimes it's sometimes it's just inertia. Right. Like we, we just kind of live this way, and we don't really. Know how to do any different, and so we're just kind of generally obedient. My prayer for us is this: that this year, and in all the years of our lives to come, that we would, as Paul says, his prayer for the church. And this is a good one. He says that you may you may grasp how. Wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Right? In other words, try to measure it if you want. It's wider and deeper and higher and longer than you can measure. You can't even get your mind around how much there is the love of God for you. And my hope is that, my prayer is that we would begin to understand just a little bit of that. And that that would then motivate us to obedient Christian living. That we would not obey simply because we should, but obey out of love and delight and joy. Right? Should you obey? Yeah, you should. Do you need to obey as a follower of Jesus? Yes, you need to. Should you feel convicted when you don't? Yes, you should. Right? But sometimes we miss the delight and joy because we focus on the should and forget about the fact that what we, what ought to be our motivation instead is not the ought, but just deep reciprocal love for the person who loved us first and loves us most and knows everything about us and loves us anyway. Right? How many of us are are deeply longing for someone who knows everything about us and still loves us? Right? Most of us go through most of our relationships afraid, afraid that if 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 I let somebody see this part of me. Like I need to be selective about who I let over to my house to watch sports with, because they might see a, port, a part of me that I don't want them to see. Right? That I don't want them to see me transformed into a crazy person. Right? Who yells at the referee on every questionable pass interference call. Right? Um, uh, you know, and argues with my son back and forth about whether it was legitimate or not. Right? <laughs> I don't, want to see, I don't want people to see that, right? And that's a silly thing. But sometimes there are serious things that we don't want people to see that, right? Because we are convinced that if people see that, they won't love us anymore, right? The good news of the Gospel is that Jesus sees every bit of it. Even the parts that we hide. And he loves us anyway. And he gave his life for us. Can you follow and love a God like that? Yeah. I can too. And my prayer is that all of us would come to understand God's love for us in a way that motivates our obedience. As Paul says here, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we pray that, that you would, by your Holy Spirit who indwells us, help us to love you well and to live for Jesus, not because we must, but because we love the one who loves us. And we make it our goal to please him because it also pleases us. to to reciprocally love the one who loves us first and most. And Father, uh, we thank you for time together to worship you, to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we, we pray that we might celebrate and enjoy our relationship with you day by day. May you live your life out through us, Father, as we submit to you out of love. In Jesus' name, amen.